Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu, what's going on, everyone? Austin, how are you, man? Uh, Things are good. I'm retired now. Well, quote unquote retired. I'm doing entrepreneurship full time, the real estate grind, but uh, it's going well, man. Um, One thing I've noticed is, is that when like there's there's no one really pushing you to do anything, right? So there's no firm deadlines per se. So you have to kind of create your own deadlines and you need to plan out your day more so now than ever. Right. And it's something I quickly realized. Fortunately for me, I didn't take any breaks before I transitioned into full-time entrepreneurship. I know some people kind of kick back and they got to work their way into it. I just treated it exactly like a regular work week. So I'm still in that mojo. Um, but what I'm finding tough is, is that again, like there's so many little things to do uh, but it's up to me to do all the prioritization. It's up to me to set my own deadlines, right? But uh, I'm trying to use a project management tool. It's called Asana. I don't know if you heard of it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, pretty, yeah, it's pretty dope. It's like a Kanban system. It's what we use in RBC. And I'm, I'm applying it to uh, the wholesaling business to keep us uh, keep us accountable. How Damn, about you, man? man? That's, that's pretty good. I was going to ask you as well about that. I completely forgot. I'm, uh, I guess on my end, I'm, uh, I'm trying to set a date and I'm trying to move forward towards, uh, towards a similar goal as you, um, as I think like I've kind of like hinted in like various like platforms now. Um, but I think you were at like 150%, um, of uh, like a workload versus I'm kind of like turning down things. And as a result, never going to get to that 150% workload. Cause I'm kind of tethering at like the 110, 120. So, uh, it's less of a rush for me. And I know you moved pretty fast, but I'm just trying to plan out to get there. Um, this last week we closed an apex in New Brunswick. Um, I I'm running into issues on my tiny flip. Um, but I will save that until next week. Cause there's going to be some, uh, major changes to see information okay yeah <laughs> um, how did that belleville flip go go on are you able to disclose the numbers now or not yet not yet end of the month end of the month <laughs> end of the month okay once yeah. closing and all is done right yeah yeah good exactly. man once the funds good man. Hit the bank man once the funds <laughs> hit the bank <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and then we're closing a seven plex as well this week so that'll be fun and uh yeah man closings like i think i think i need to bring in some more systems because like it's always still a pain just like going to the bank getting a draft from like one bank taking it to the next and then going to another bank and like oh we need to well, you know what about. you can do you can give you can give someone your bank account number and let them deal with it. <laughs> if any if anyone if anyone in the uh, audience wants to hit my you up to help them with that, feel free to do so. <laughs> yeah, man. So so we just had our rise um, networking event as well on Tuesday. So yesterday night, uh, that was you know like it's always a big hit. And and to me, and I know me and Austin we were talking about it. We were kind of like, oh, like I don't really want to like network right now. But we just forced ourselves to like, get on it primarily also because we're the host so we have to get on it um, <laughs> but i you know we had about 120 or so maybe more people that joined to just for the sole purpose of networking it's just we just did breakout rooms very sim- simple concept people just hopped in a room talked to other people you just pick each other's brains and honestly if we're sitting at home you might as well just do that um you know what's crazy like, like even as the host the organizer of the event um there are t- like networking doesn't come natural right like it is taking time out of your schedule and it's easy to talk yourself out of it 
like when Mayu and I was like, oh, wait, uh, what was it? It was Tuesday evening. It's like, oh, Tuesday evening, kind of want to just relax, take it easy. Like it's been a hard work week last week and start like the rest of the work week is going to be busy, but we forced ourselves to go because that's the reality of it. Like with a lot of networking events, even in person, I always kind of need to force myself to go. I don't look forward. I don't get like super excited. It's like, oh my God, I'm so excited to go networking. It's like, okay, networking, it's good to build relationships with people, meet other people along with the same journey. But you do need that push. You need that self-motivation to go there. You can even see it in our in our attendance numbers because hmm. the, the tickets kept flying. Like we had no cost. Like it, it was a pretty low commitment like item on, on myself and Austin's plate, meaning it didn't take up a lot of effort or time. So we just released the tickets for free and about like, 300 people signed up and took up all the slots like really quick. And I know like right up until the day, even like 10 minutes before people were messaging me saying, Hey, like, I yeah. wish I could, I wish I could have got a ticket. Like I'm going to be joining the next one for sure. And then it sucks because you sell 300 of these tickets and because it's free and there's no, there's essentially no cost, like no barrier to entry, right? Like anyone could get a free ticket. Um, and then people just get the ticket and then they decide whether or not they want to attend the event. So that's something that we've got to, you know, figure out something later on um, for like future networking events. It just like, we capped it at 300. I mean, sure, it was digital, so we could have kept going, but it would have been uh, a nightmare logistically to just like manage 300 people or more than 300 people. So we were like, hey, let's cap it here. Um, but we definitely could have had more than 120, right? Yeah, so we had less than a 50% uh, turnout rate, which is something we need to improve on. Uh, again, like exactly what you said, like people wanted to come, they weren't able to come. Unfortunate, we have to do something to fix that. Yeah. Um, once someone commits to things like that, it's important to either re you can refund your ticket on Eventbrite and someone else could have booked in. So uh, just for future reference, if any of you guys out there booked a ticket and you didn't end up uh, showing up, just make sure to refund the ticket. So then it opens space for people who do want to show up. Anyways, let's jump into today's podcast. Today we have Adrian Pinozo and Adrian's a very accomplished investor. He actually uh, retired early from his job from policing and now he's a full-time real estate investor and entrepreneur. He has a portfolio of over 200 units. That is insane. And that happened in less than a decade of investing. So unreal. And he's doing a bunch of other businesses on the side. And it's giving pretty good synergies to his real estate investing business. So he also does property management. He also has a construction company. And then also focuses on multifamily conversions and joint ventureships as well. So this guy's doing it all. It's going to be uh, an episode that's loaded with golden nuggets. So you do not want to miss this one out. Hey, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Adrian Pinozo. Adrian, how's it going, man? Good morning. How are you guys? We're, we're not too bad. As you can tell from my hair, I just woke up pretty recently. <laughs> I think we all just kind of rolled out of bed not too long ago. Yeah. Adrian showed up showed up in a nice dress shirt and looking very sharp. So Austin's <laughs> very self-conscious now. <laughs> uh, so Adrian, you are a very successful real estate investor, but um, you know, rather than uh, me doing it, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to everyone and all of our guests that don't maybe don't know you? Yeah, sure. So obviously Adrian Pinozo, um, quick, quick uh, Reader's Digest version of uh, myself. Uh, I started buying rental properties 10 years ago. Um, at that time, I was a police officer in the GTA. And uh, I started buying rental properties with the mindset that, you know, I want to put in my 30 years on the job, and then retire and have one or two rental properties to subsidize um, my pension, and essentially 
the cash flow from my couple of properties will give me the ability to live the same lifestyle as if, even though I'm obviously on a reduced salary because now I'm on pension. So yeah, the first one was 10 years ago and, um, you know, never thought it would go to where it went. Um, uh, 2017 was an incredible year there in real estate and nevertheless, um, through my choices of investing in real estate over the course of the 10 years, uh, I retired early. So I was able to retire from the police department in 21 years um, and as opposed to 30. And ultimately, we are now sitting at ourselves along with joint venture uh, partnerships. Uh, we're now sitting at about 64 multifamily homes, which is equivalent to uh, just over 250 doors uh, that we've managed to accumulate in our portfolio, again, with uh, uh, joint venture partnerships. That is phenomenal. And what a hell of a story. So back when you were uh, an officer, um, what was your mindset going into investing? Like, is that something like, at least in the corporate realm, I, you and I know that we can't let other people around know that we're investing in real estate because they're going to look down upon you. Is it kind of the same as an, an officer? Like, how did you go about navigating both the real estate job and, and the full-time job? Cause that's quite a different full-time job than most people getting into real estate. Yeah. Um, I kind of kept it low, very low key, hush, hush. Um, you know, I didn't want the, the police family to really know how deeply entrenched I was um, with real estate and, you know, didn't want people to judge me or and or feel I wasn't committed or performing, um, obviously, on the police department. So I really kept that low key as my portfolio. Again, I was my last 10 years of being a police officer. I was buying rental properties on the side, managing my properties showing my properties, dealing with tenants, all that stuff, all along being a full-time police officer. So I kept it low key. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't want the, the criticism or the haters or the, the naysayers or whatnot. So I just very, very low key. I, I think, you know, they may have known some of my colleagues knew I, I had one or two rental properties, but they had no idea how deeply entrenched I was in it which enabled me to segue nicely from the police department into becoming a full-time real estate investor. So you said 2017 was a really good year for you. Was that, was that the year that you went into full-time? Yeah. So that's the year I retired um, from the police department and really, really focused on um, uh, just joint venture partnerships, the Burr strategy, uh, accumulating more and more properties through um, different business relationships with other like-minded investors and whatnot, and uh, really blew up our portfolio that year. The market, the real estate market was really hot that year as well in 2017. It kind of exploded. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the transition. That was the year that I, I left policing and transitioned into a full-time real estate investor. So, so if we break up your, your journey into kind of these like two segments, right? Uh, up until that point where you were still doing it part-time, like what, what was your portfolio size? And, and what, I guess at what point did you know that now is the time to go full-time? 
I'm curious to hear this too because I actually am going full time <laughs> next month. So like We're both selfishly asking. Maybe I made the right decision. Maybe I made the yeah. right. <laughs> I can't remember how many doors we actually had um, at the time when I made that transition. From now, like, I but I can comment um, cash flow wise. Um, my properties, uh, along with joint venture properties and whatnot. I want to say we were hovering around um, $12,000 a month in cash flow. Wow. And <laughs> obviously, you know, th that's obviously pretty good. Um, and given that amount of cash flow at the time, I was able to obviously live off of that um, and not have to, you know, I was burning the candle at both ends, right? Shift work, court, police. And then on my days off, I'd be running out to uh, check on my properties, show my properties, deal with tenants, try to look for new properties, build new relationships with JV partners and whatnot. So I was, I was kind of running it pretty thin. And then, you know, the light bulb went off and said, okay, well, I can live off my cash flow. And at that time, still continue to grow um, and just focus on being a real estate investor as opposed to, you know, running around like crazy every day. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we were looking for. So, um, I mean, you you kind of highlighted how you first got started. You were just looking for rental properties, but at that time, when you first got started, were you still doing the burr and were you still like buying like duplexes, triplexes, and so on, or was it single family houses? And just yeah. to add on to that, like a lot of our listeners like to hear how very successful people got started off because it was not a smooth journey for you, I I'm sure. Like there were a lot of bombs, obstacles you had to navigate around. So even if you could touch on that part as well when starting off, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so when I started, I was buying multifamilies, triplexes predominantly, and turnkey. Uh, I didn't have the network. I didn't have you know, the contacts and, and the experience to start getting into some big burr projects um, at that time. So I was buying turnkey, renovated, you know, triplexes, and then all I had to do was find my tenants and, you know, cash flow nicely at that, at that token. Um, and then ultimately, once a couple of years went by and those properties appreciated in value, I'd refinance them, pull the equity out, buy the next one. And then when we hit, um, I was, I believe, five properties, um, personally, just myself and my wife, we then started a joint venture. And by then we'd been in the game, you know, five years or so, four to five years. So we then decided, you know, why don't we start to network ourselves and expand and start growing a bigger portfolio through the power of joint venture partnerships. And ultimately that led us to, um, um, Again, leaving policing in 2017, I then um, got into business with, um, I think you're familiar with Sandy McKay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So Sandy McKay, Sandy McKay and I uh, got into business together and, and partnered up and um, launched um, our property management company. We decided, well, we have all these units. We have all these joint venture partnerships. I mean, it makes sense to, to I guess, deliver the service to our, our business partners. So we, we started a property management company. Um, we started our own and then pushing the burr so hard because we were so successful in, in the ROI with our burrs. Um, we started our own construction company uh, three years ago now as well. 
to facilitate all of the renovations on all of our projects. So I segued, long story short, I segued from buying turnkey properties and then really focused, I'd probably say within the last four years, really, really hammered the burr strategy. And that's all we've done in the last four years is just burr after burr after burr uh, with our joint venture partners. So as you, as you scaled your portfolio, like now you're at 250, um, it sounds like a majority of that growth was maybe in the last four to five years. I'd say yeah. that, yeah, the bulk of it for sure was from 2017 onwards. So with that kind of like rapid growth, you kind of at, like, if I just average it out, that's about like what, like 50, 50 units a year or something like that, more than that really. Um, okay, there yeah. must've been pain pains along the way and you're setting up a property management company, a construction company, et cetera. Um, like what, what, what does that process look like? What are some of the struggles you deal with there and like what like systems do you, that you implement and so on? Yeah. So obviously um, being in the business, obviously being a realtor as well, I got my real estate license when I partnered up there uh, with Sandy. So um, it hasn't been all roses for sure. Uh, there's been some bumps along the way, but you know what, nothing major, like, you know, one of the questions I'm always asked, you know, what's the worst experience you've ever had as far as losing money in real estate. And the only real experience I can say was before we started our property management company, you know, we were using uh, some general contractors that weren't reliable or dependable. And, you know, we had to fire a couple of general contractors on our Burr project. So we lost time, we lost money. And, you know, I probably lost 20, 25 grand on a project because of a general contractor that kind of, uh, you know, messed us around for lack of a better word. Right. Um, so nothing major, but yeah, you know what? And I, we having the right mindset, you know, if you fail forward, you make some mistakes. We made mistakes, nothing crucial or devastating to us financially, but again, 10 years, tons of learning, tons of experiences. I mean, when you have, you know, your, your 250 units, you can imagine there's an abundance of experience there uh, with multifamily investing, but nothing huge. Um, we really never had any really horror stories as far as tenants go, you know, yeah, we've lost a few months rent here and there. That's part of the business. Um, but overall, like extreme success in comparison to some of the uh, hiccups we've had, the right. success is like tenfold over some of the small hiccups. And, you know, I like to preach to all investors, our strategy really is, is is long-term wealth, generational wealth. We're not, I've never really been a flipper and nothing against flipping. If that's your gig, that's your gig. Long-term wealth, generational wealth, buy and hold. I mean, for the most part, you can't go wrong. Time after time, you're going to win if you're in the game for a long time. Um, so nothing major to answer your question to sum it up. Yeah. Uh, little hiccups here and there, but that's just part of the game. It's part of the learning. It's part of growing. I can stress though, you know, if you're getting started in this game and everybody's probably heard this, but the team you surround yourself with, yeah. the professionals in your corner, the professionals on your team can really make or break your experiences. Mm -hmm. I can't stress that enough, especially when you're into these Burr renos and you know, you're, you're into a 200, $250,000 reno on a fourplex, let's say things that's a lot of money. And, you know, you want to make sure your contractors are right. 
You know, did you do a proper analysis? Um, you know, who's in your corner? Those people are so, so important. Yeah, I mean, you can get a killer deal, but a bad contractor could erode the profits. And, and you saw oh. that, right? You got you got an amazing deal, still end up losing 25K because your contractor was screwing around. Yeah, yeah. And the market I mean, goes up and everything is good, right? <laughs> yeah, and ultimately that kind of segued us to, you know, the light bulb go off and say, why, why are we still messing around with these fly-by-night contractors? Like, why don't we just start our own company hire these people, put them on payroll, our licensed trades and whatnot, and, and let's control that so we don't have these experiences anymore because there's nothing more embarrassing than being in a joint venture partnership, hiring a contractor, fly-by-night kind of guy, and now your JV partner's looking at you saying, this guy you hired, like he's taking us for a ride and whatnot, and it's embarrassing. I mean, at the end of the day, we're the company, we're the professionals, we should have this tight, and, and deliver what we say we're going to deliver. So that really segued us to say, okay, enough, we're going to control this. These people are beyond our payroll. They're our team of people and we don't have to rely on, you know, Marco on Kijiji to come in and facilitate our stuff. Right. Shout so, out to Marco yeah. on Kijiji. <laughs> That's so true. I think when you're, when you're, when you join venturing, like there's just so much more on the line. It's, it's a big branding risk. It's a like reputation is everything really in our community. Right. Um, so on that topic, amongst the 64 like properties or so that you have, um, if you were to put a percentage on them, how many of them are JVs versus like yourselves? And, and did you ever consider going down uh, like a private financing, just like raising the capital yourself and just closing and, and keeping 100% of it? Yeah. So out of the 64, I want to say uh, 55 our joint venture properties. Okay. Um, so quite a few, probably 90% of them are joint ventures. And the reason we decided to go that route, excuse me, was obviously we, we feel we have a very good system and model doing podcasts like this and, or just word of mouth and through the investment community, we've, we've built quite a good reputation for ourselves as far as things we deliver. So being able to, continue to grow our portfolio and at the same time give people that chance to get in the market that would never not get in let's say a, a successful burr project so it's it's kind of a win-win we look at it we're, we're growing our portfolio at the same time you know for like-minded investors who don't have the time don't have the knowledge and um, want to get into the market want to recycle their capital through burr projects we can offer them that. So they're winning. They're getting their foot in the door. They're getting 90 plus percent return on their money through a successful burr. And we're winning ultimately, obviously, as we're continuing to burr, uh, grow our stuff. So as opposed to, you know, private financing and stuff, we've done that too. A few of our projects we've just done on our own. But on the residential platform, quite honestly, I like working with different people. I like helping them. I like seeing their portfolios go and, and everybody wins at the end of the day. Um, and the relationships you build with a lot of these people go so far. Like we've, we've made friends with most of our, most of our JV partners and know their families and their kids and stuff like that. And it's, it's quite, your business. I enjoy it. Yeah. You're in business together essentially with each person um, oh, yeah. on a different property, yeah. but yeah, so, so that, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. So these Burr properties, because I know, like, I feel like the Burr 
it's it's existed for a long time, but it's it's definitely grown in popularity in the last couple of years, and it's becoming harder. Like me and Austin, we both bear properties. Um, I flip a few Austin wholesales, bearable properties as well. Um, so we both we're both very familiar, but it's definitely getting harder and harder to find bear properties. Like it's almost like a, like based on the market fluctuations, like in the middle of COVID, <laughs> bear properties were everywhere. You could like pick them off the street and you'd be fine, right? Um, right. But in a hot market like today, like how are you guys sourcing these deals? And I don't think we've actually talked about uh, what market you guys are operating in. So, I mean, yeah. So what market are you operating in? Yeah, we're in the Hamilton market. So, so Hamilton's not a cheap area. It's not like it's definitely um, there's a lot of people that that look to Hamilton to move out of Toronto, right? Like you move from Toronto to Hamilton, you can live there, still drive into the city once in a while. Um, or take the gold train down and go to work, right? So, and you hear a lot of people say that Hamilton is a market where you can't find burrs anymore, right? And I feel like I personally believe that for some time as well, or at least the ideal perfect burr, burr getting close to that. Seems like you're finding success in that route, right? Yeah. So, I guess the two questions, like Mayu was saying, the first one is how do you get off market leads right there, right now? And second, like, how are you running these successful burrs? I'm assuming you're able to keep your costs down because of construction. You have in-house construction, in-house property management. Um, so why don't you give some details as to the number for the deals that you're finding and also how you're still able to find great burrs in Hamilton? Yeah, so um, getting involved in so many burrs, like last year we did 17 I want to say 17 or 18 burrs we did last year. So when you look at it, um, we're burring something, we're refinancing and burring something more in some months, more than once a month. So we're constantly turning these projects around, which gives me the idea of what they're worth. So when I'm doing an analysis and let's say I'm going to join venture with you and I'm doing an analysis on a project, I know based on that square footage, based on the area, based on all the totality of that, that information, I know because I can go back to my, my Rolodex and say, okay, so last month we burned one, two, three Smith street. It was 2,300 square feet. It had four units. It came back at this, you know, three weeks before that we did three, two, five, you know, McNabb street. It came back at this. So based on all our information through our stats, through our, more recent appraisals that have happened, I can come back to you and say, Hey, Kevin or Mike or Tony, you know what, here's the numbers. And this is how I get to that analysis based on what's happened in the market with our other appraisals over the last, you know, month to two months. Cause we're always turning something over and refinancing it, getting it appraised. So the, our analysis, our data is fresh. And that obviously works towards when I say this is going to refinance for 900,000, I use that data to get that figure and then provide it to our joint venture partner. Interesting. So it's it's based on the volume of deals you guys do. So you have your your finger on the pulse of the market. You know exactly what's going on. It's based you know on market expertise, on. right? Yeah, we know what's going on. Not only comparable sales, obviously, is, is big on the residential platform. Commercial, obviously, cap rate is, is completely different, but, you know, the fourplexes and under, um, yeah, we're obviously on the market every day. We're burring something at least once a month, so we know what they're coming back at. And, yeah, just a whole overall analysis on that particular acquisition in comparison to the data we got from, let's say, the last two, mm -hmm. that's, like, that's, that's gold. 
so this is something we chatted about a bit earlier, but I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit. So it seems like you have a bird project going on every month. You're doing all of these things. You're managing contractor teams, so on and so forth. So where do you ideally stand in your business and how, where, where's your role in the business and how are you managing all of these things? Cause it's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of projects going on. Are you more focused on investor relations? Like where, like how is the role split and then what is kind of uh, subcontracted or outsourced? So my role, obviously having the, the, um, sorry, having the, the construction company, we have a full-time business partner that runs that company, mm-hmm. but it initially starts with our EPC executive capital that I run and I'm nurturing and building relationships um, with the investors who are interested in joint venture partnerships. So obviously I tell them everything our company does, our statistics, our like A to Z, this is what we're going to do for you. Find the acquisition, obviously being, you know, 250 doors, we know what we're looking for. And then prepare that analysis that really relies on my shoulders to prepare the analysis on that acquisition as far as purchase price, rental budget, cash flow analysis, so on and so forth. And then kind of walk them through that whole phase and then get our construction company involved to prepare a contract, go over the contract with them. Again, walking them through step by step by step. And then ultimately once the, once the rentals are done, um, guide them through the process of that refinance, set them up with the right mortgage uh, professionals um, to secure an optimal, optimum refinance value. Um, working with different appraisers um, that after the rentals are done, working with different appraisers to get uh, them through, show them everything we've done, all the improvements to the property, and then right to turning the keys over to property management and and having property management find AAA tenants for that property, so on and so forth. And then we're off to like at the end of the day, we now own this acquisition together 50-50 and um, we're off to the races on to the next one. Because again, our goal in that burst strategy and what we've been so successful doing is pulling pretty much all, if not close to all of our capital. And some projects we've, pur- we've pulled out a surplus, but we want to pull out, you know, 95 plus percent of all of our capital and then rinse and repeat that process. Money in, money out, typically in eight months, six to eight months, money in, money out. And we're recycling that capital to the next project that we have. Yep, you must be yep, getting that's, that's, that's how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> yeah, right. well, six, six to eight months is a really good timeline for a multifamily. So you must be getting these like vacant. Um, so I'm, yeah, the ones that are vacant, yeah, for sure. Uh, you're not turning around four units that's fully tenanted. It may take you three months to to get new, just the tenants to vacate, and then you're starting your rentals. But typically, six the rental project itself is around five to six months once the property's vacant. So if we're starting, if we're starting with a vacant home, obviously things go a lot quicker because we're not dealing with having to get the the legacy tenants out and then right. relocate them or whatnot, and go from there. 
it was very interesting how you explained the entire business model because I think Mayu and I were trying to do something similar in the sense that we don't want to be in the weeds of the business. We want to facilitate. And it sounds that at this stage in career, you're like a facilitator. You've done the nitty gritty work, but now you're stepping back and doing the value add task, the communication with the investor um, and, and walking them through the process and all of that. So that that's awesome. Um, Mayu, do you want to get into the numbers a bit of, of some of the deals that uh, Adrian has in Hamilton? I know you love hearing about numbers. Yeah, I'd just be curious because like, like like we were saying earlier, like a lot of what we hear about the Hamilton markets that these bird properties aren't, aren't out there. So I'm just curious um, if you guys have a recent project, just, just high level, like how much you bought it for, what your renovation plans are, um, and then what like the after repair value is and like cash flow. Like I'd, I'd love to know it. I'm sure our, our guests would love to hear it as well. <laughs> Yeah, in a lot of the a lot of our examples, quite honestly, guys, um, anybody listening to the show can go on our website. Um, we do have some of our most recent birds on our website, www.investwithepc.com. Um, so I can reference those, but um, I actually got it on my other screen here. Awesome. Um, actually checking out the site now yeah same <laughs> oh that's a nice site yeah. <laughs> Love so it. If you scroll down you're on the home page you scroll down the bird projects and then uh. oh man this is a dope site yeah yeah um, you know for example if you click on the last one available property fourplex the last one. Oh yeah okay Wow. Okay. So, so Adrian on their website, investwithepc.com, they actually list out like all of their projects, the numbers, um, and, and they've got a pretty nice picture of the house too, actually on this one. So it looks yeah. like this one, you're buying it for 420. Um, it's a 5% down. Yes. So this one actually was an amazing, amazing deal. Um, it, uh, we got a vendor take back. We got a vendor take back on that one. So they gave it this, like, it was just, it was such a crazy good deal. We got a 95% vendor take back on, on this, on this acquisition, which was like insane. Um, how, how often does that happen? Uh, so we only had to put $21,000 down, um, you know, <laughs> which is like, you can't even buy a used car nowadays for 21 grand. That in itself is a bird, just 21 K in Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. Like, in itself yeah insane so as you'll see uh through the numbers there we spent a total of two hundred seventy thousand on the rental and that was down to the stud so a lot of people think holy that's a lot of money that includes um all the all the labor all the materials and you're talking you know four units right yeah you're talking four bathrooms four four kitchens and for this particular project like i said right down to the studs like there was nothing left inside um, needless to say, we came back 900,000 is what we refinanced it for. Um, long story short, kind of skimming to the bottom. Uh, we had all our capital out plus $7,800. Mm. $1,000 a month cash flow on this one, eh? Yeah. So there's the income scrolling down $1,100 a month, positive cash flow. So this is where it's like, you know, I, I try to, tell a lot of people this is where it's like crazy you have you essentially have a nine hundred thousand dollar acquisition right with zero money in the game 
we got a $7,800 surplus, but zero money in the game, more importantly, on a $900,000 acquisition and you're cash flowing $1,100 a month, it's infinite return on your money. I mean, at the end of the day, because you have no money in the game. Yep. So, so how were you able to source this lead? Was it, was it through a mailer campaign and how did the negotiation go? 95% BTB. It's insane. Yeah. So this lead particularly came from an old client who said, you know, we just reached out to him and I said, Hey, do you know, anybody looking to sell distressed, you know, tries or quads or whatnot. And uh, he's like, Hey, I know, you know, I know this slumlord who's got a, a ton of properties and, um, you know, I think he's looking to liquidate. So I, uh, I took the bull by the horns and uh, tracked the guy down and persistence, you know, um, followed up with him and followed up with him. And then finally, he's like, okay, here, I'll, I got these couple for sale. And this was one of them that, um, you know, I, I managed to get. And, you know, he, he has a plethora of properties that he's starting to liquidate. And for tax purposes, he was really interested in the vendor take back to offset his taxes and his capital gains. So it, it just really worked out, you know, um, being in the market for 10 years and having um, good relationships. And obviously, you know, my business partner is, is well known in, in, in the real estate world in Hamilton as well. Um, we have a lot of contacts and, you know, a lot of different avenues that people give us a show or leads that come through, you know, that we can capitalize on and, and bring to our joint venture partners. Awesome. So that brings us into, I, I think that was a great summary of, of your experience to date, Adrian, and um, kind of the, the portfolio and everything that yourself and Sandy have built together. Um, at the end of our, our podcast, we generally ask our guests uh, three, just we call it uh, rapid round questions or something. Um, but, you know, in, in five years, like where do you see yourself uh, five years from now? And like, I'd love to hear like what your thoughts are on your portfolio, your various businesses. Um, and, you know, even at what point, like, you, you've got 250 units, you know, what's your goal for five years? Um, I'm five years. I think I'm going to be actively where I am um, anywhere between the next three to five, I want to say, but ultimately my vision, my, as you would call it, my unreal life, uh, so to speak in the next five years would be for me to take a step back and have our professionals on our team kind of take over the model that we've built. And I'm on a beach somewhere uh, down in the Caribbean, um, living life on my terms and logging in off my laptop and checking in on everything in the businesses that are operating through the professionals on our team and um, traveling. I love to travel. We, my wife and I love to travel and uh, traveling five, seven, nine times a year. And, you know, the beauty of real estate in our companies is I could be anywhere in the world and log in and, um, you know, Zoom calls, whatever. As long as I have internet and a phone, I can conduct business anywhere I have. And I have our, our, our strong team members here uh, locally that will facilitate deals for us or whatnot, meet with clients and so on. But answer your question, um, down in the Caribbean somewhere where it's hot, sunny, the beer is cold, the margaritas are cold and strong and uh, maybe work 
an hour to two hours a day on my laptop by checking in and communicating with the team. And then other than that, just reaping the benefits of the fruits of our labor that, you know, it's been a lot of work guys, um, a ton of work, ton of commitment, a ton of just a ton of everything. And, you know, it's, it's getting close to time to start enjoying that um, for myself. Well, it seems like you're doing the right things. Like you, you have the teams in place. You set up in-house property management, in-house contractors, right? So you're doing all of the right things to have that business autopilot somewhere down the line in the future. So a huge props to you for that. The, the second question is, is that if you won $10 million today in cash, what would you do with it? And why? Maybe, maybe that will expedite your, your five-year plan. You could just move to the, to the beach yeah. right away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so first off, I would look after, um, some, some of my family, uh, and really, really close friends. Um, uh, I have a very strong relationship with family and, um, obviously family is, uh, is, is really important to me. So I would help out some family members with that money kind of spread it out and here's some for you, some for you, some for you. Um, and then, like you said, I would, I'd like to buy, uh, uh, a vacation, a vacation property and maybe two or three different Caribbean islands, um, of my choice to visit throughout the year and stay there and whatnot and, and fly my family members down there to be with me and enjoy, uh, enjoy the beautiful weather and sights and whatnot. So yeah, I think I've kind of touched on that too, but help family, uh, through giving them some money and then buy some vacation properties around the world that I can visit and, and stay at and log in off my laptop and see what's going on in the world. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot, a lot more about people buying vacation properties down in the Caribbean recently. I, I don't know what it is, but it also see, it sounds like super, super nice right now in the current environment. So <laughs> you know, what's uh, funny? I was actually looking at the top 10 list of cheap cities to live in across the world that are vacation rentals. And I was seeing Belize. Um, I think I saw, uh, 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 is it Spain? Some areas of Spain are cheap as well. Like it was interesting. Like I, I totally resonate with that. And then I told my girlfriends like, look, like, are you interested in any of these places? Cause it's going to be our future. <laughs> so, yeah. so love that you mentioned that Adrian. Vacation, uh, vacation properties are nice, but it's tough to be away from like the fr- friends and family that like we know here as well. Right. And that, that's kind of what holds me back from the idea of it, but maybe, maybe at a later time in life. Well, um, you, use that, you use that $10 million that you have to fly them down and they get yeah. time with you and then you fly back and, that's and whatnot. True. But I love the sun. I love the, uh, I love the beach. So yeah, that's kind of my, my unreal life, so to speak, the end of the rainbow for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So our last question is if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, uh, who would it be and why? Um, big inspiration for me is Grant Cardone. Um, I, uh, a lot of respect for him. Um, he started out with nothing, so on and so forth. And you look at the guy today, I mean, <laughs> he's got planes and this and that, and he's a real estate. He started out and yeah, he's an incredible sales, uh, right. uh person, but, you know, he made his money. Uh, ultimately, what started the, the pendulum was real estate, right? And he preaches all about real estate investing and how real estate investing turned him into a billionaire. 
So I'd love to sit down and have dinner if I could with anybody right now, it would be Grant Cardone. That's awesome. I think, I think he gets a lot of unnecessary negative, uh, negative press. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, I still have a lot of respect for what he achieved in his life, given he started, like I said, you know, if you read his books, he started with nothing, essentially, you know, being addicted to drugs and all that kind of jazz. And you look at him today, you know, so that would be, that would be the person for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us today, Adrian. It was amazing having you on. You shared a lot of value and I'm sure that you're going to meet all of your goals. It seems like you're heading that direction. Um, when I was reading that bio on you, I think it was uh, in in uh, George's podcast, you were on there in October, 2020, it said, it said like 30 or 35 properties and now you double that. <laughs> yeah, it was a, we had a really good year this year too. Um, so yeah, and I think it speaks to volume is, people putting their trust in our company and working with working with us to, to achieve their real estate goals says a lot too. So, you know, Absolutely. fingers so, crossed and so, keep pushing hard. So people do want to reach out to you to chat with you, learn more. Maybe they want to join venture with you. Where is the best uh, contact information that they can reach out to you at? Yeah. So a simple email, um, executive properties, IES at rogers.com. Mm-hmm. is my email address shoot me an email and we can connect and chat or meet up for coffee and then like i said you can always check out our website www.investwithepc.com and there's contact information there as well we're all on all social media platforms um myself uh, facebook instagram linkedin whatnot so yeah tons of ways to get a hold of us and uh see if we're a good fit to maybe do business together And we'll include all of that in the show notes, guys, if you guys want to reach out to Adrian. Again, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday morning. Happy New Year to you. And um, guys, just just quick reminder, if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you did, make sure to like, comment, um, share this with a friend. It helps support the podcast. It helps us bring great guests like Adrian on board. Um, And yeah, Adrian, thank you again so much for being on. And I'm sure in in four or five years, um, when that time comes and you're you're on the beach, we're going to have to do a follow-up episode. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do another Zoom call when I'm on the beach, see where we're at. Yeah, that'll be phenomenal. Awesome, guys. Um, Take care all, and remember to invest smarter and live better. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Adrian. I think it it was a good episode.